Amen. So glad that uh, you took the time to be here uh, for this retreat. I cannot tell you uh, how refreshing this is uh, for me. You know, I, uh, my, my wife doesn't typically uh, go to all of the, the places that I go, but this is w one event where she wants to go uh, just because of the love that you guys uh, exude. And, and I want you to know that we totally appreciate that. Pastor Allen, Pastor Sam, uh, thank you for your graciousness in uh, inviting me to be able to have a part in this uh, again this year. Uh, and I'm just, I'm just so grateful. And uh, Pastor George, I almost called you Abusa George. That's the, the Malawi word. Uh, man, what a blessing you have been. It's been awesome being able to tag team with you. I've been able to to take some broad strokes, and, and he's been just kind of uh, giving us the details. And it's been just an incredible time and uh, thankful to be able to be with you as well. All right, so we've been obviously uh, talking for the past few days about the crucified life. And uh, I, I know that I speak for Pastor George when I say this, that we have not touched the hem of the garment on the subject. Uh, this is one of those subjects that you can study the rest of your life, but man, you know what? We haven't even been to Romans chapter 6, and I mean, if you're going to follow up on this retreat uh, and, and try to really get your head wrapped around the crucified life, I would suggest to you that you go to Romans chapter 6 and just look for three key verbs, know, reckon, and yield. If you could just get that, you'll, you'll be way down the road in understanding uh, a little more of this, this Christian life thing. Now, I must say that uh, this is probably the craziest camp ever. Because what we did is we made as our goal to leave tomorrow afternoon having made some radical decisions. Amen? And our radical decisions are that we're no longer going to live for God. We're no longer going to be committed to Christ. We're no longer going to be trying to live the Christian life. And we're going to leave no longer believing that we can actually live the Christian life. Now listen, if you... If you go home and tell somebody that that wasn't here, they are going to be saying, hold up, and this was a Christian camp? It, it sounds like an atheist gathering, you know, detoxing believers and such. Um, but that is our goal. And everybody that understands that, say amen. amen. Hallelujah to you. Okay, so tonight, uh, I, I want to take it maybe just uh, a, a step further uh, and, and, and just help us with this, this paradigm shift. And I think that's kind of what uh, this last several days has been. Just, you know, uh, we, we viewed the Christian life maybe one way for a lot of years and 
maybe through what has happened in the various sessions. Wow. That whole thing has hopefully flipped. And, and tonight, I, I want us to direct our attention into the book of Philippians, because I believe the book of Philippians has some incredible things to teach us about this subject that we've been massaging over the last couple of days. So let's, let's dive into our, our notes. Now, it, to really understand what we're going to be looking at, I think we've got to set a, a little bit of a context and, and so this is not going to be crazy long. It's going to come quick. But just try to work with me to understand context so that when we actually come into the passage, you, you know what's, what's shaken out. Okay, so in the book of Philippians, in chapter 1, the point that Paul is trying to get us to see is that Christ is our life. And he brings that to a, a climax in verse 21 where he says, for me to live, what's the next word, y'all? Is Christ. In other words, it is Christ who is our strength. It is Christ who enables us. It is Christ who empowers us to be what God calls us to be. And make sure that you understand the point. Notice that it doesn't say that it is Christ that has given us life to live. Okay, that's what most Christians think. But it misses the point because the point isn't simply that Christ has given us life. The point is that he now is our life. Amen? And the Holy Spirit reiterates this throughout the New Testament. We, we come to Colossians chapter 3, verses 3 and 4, where it says, For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, here it is, who is our life shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. In Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20, and we've quoted this verse numerous times in the last, how many weeks have we been here now? <laughs> we've quoted this verse quite a, a bit. I think you know it. I am crucified with Christ. I'm dead. Nevertheless, I, what? Man, I, I live. Yet, n not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Okay, so in, in Philippians chapter 1, Christ is our life. And then in chapter 2, the point that Paul's trying to get us to see is that Christ is our pattern. He is our pattern. And, and the key verse in, in chapter 2 is in chapter 2 and verse 5, where Paul says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Okay, so this chapter is all about the fact that Christ is, is our pattern. If we were going to try to 
give a simple outline of what chapter 2 is really all about. In the first 11 verses, we would see that Christ is the pattern for living the Christian life. And then in verses 12 through 30, we would see that Christ is the power for living the Christian life. Are you hearing that? He's the pattern, and yet he is the power. And the key point in chapter 2 is we are to live the Christian life. Would you listen? We're to live the Christian life the same way that Christ lived his life. That, my brothers and sisters, is the main point of what we're going to be talking about tonight. We are to live the Christian life the same exact way that Christ came to this earth in a human body and lived his life. And again, the point that Paul's trying to get us to see is that Christ is both our pattern and our power for living the life that God has called us to live. And I want to make sure that you understand that this is no moot point. Okay, we've been taking the last several days now to talk about how to, how to live the life that God intended for us as saved people to live. And the lesson that Paul had learned about this is something that we've got to make sure that we go out of this room tonight fully understanding. We ask ourselves, okay, how do, how do I do this? How do I live the life that God intended my salvation to be? How do I, how do I live like Christ lived? How do I love the way that Christ loved? How can I be holy as he is holy? How do we do that? And Paul gives us the key in Philippians chapter 2 and verse 5. Again, I say, or Paul says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Okay, monumental statement. We all know this verse. Most of us have committed it to memory. But have you ever asked yourself, what was the mind that Christ had? The way that we might say it today is, what was the mindset that Christ had? Because whatever that mindset was, what this verse is telling us is we've got to have that same mindset. I do also want you to see that this principle that we see in Philippians chapter 2 and verse 5 is repeated in the New Testament over in 1 John chapter 2 and verse 6. John says, he that saith he abideth in him. Anybody here abiding in him? We all are, right? He that saith he abideth in him ought himself also so to walk, how? Even as he 
walked, and I think there's a double whammy here. Yes, the end result of the Christian life is our walk ought to look a whole lot like the walk of our master. In other words, our life ought to look a whole lot like his life, and that is God's call upon our life. But again, how do we do that? And what John, he gives us the key here. If we're going to get where he got, we're going to have to do what he did. We're going to have to walk even, what's that next word? As he walked. So maybe we ought to just back up a little bit and ask ourselves, how did he walk? If we got to have his mind, what was his mind? And what John is letting us know, what Paul is letting us know is we're going to get there. If we're going to get there, the same way that Christ did. Okay, so the question is, how did he do it? And what Paul tells us in Philippians chapter 2 and verse 5 is that it actually came down to a certain mindset that our Lord had, a certain perspective that he had toward his life. And he says, again, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, and then he goes on to tell us what that mindset was in verse 6. Look at it. Who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took on him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men and being found in fashion as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Now, you might need to understand that in this passage that we just read, if you were to go to a seminary anywhere in the world, they are all over this passage okay and and there's plenty to be all over and in the theological realm they call this the kenosis you know and you get all serious minded and again there's plenty to get serious minded about but i, I want to just make sure that we understand that when paul wrote this he didn't say now let me give you some big, hairy theological truths here about Christ in his incarnation. <laughs> no. <laughs> this comes in a very practical section of Scripture where Paul is holding up Christ as the pattern for living the Christian life. And what he says is, though our Lord Jesus Christ is God and has always been God and is completely equal with God. Amen? Amen? He made himself, John chapter 1 and verse 3 describes the Lord Jesus Christ as he who made all things. Check it out. And he made himself. Not just of low reputation, but what? No 
reputation. The God of the universe made himself nothing and took on him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And you know what? Would you work with me a second? I think this is a very interesting description of the Lord Jesus Christ as a man to say that he made himself of no reputation. For all of us that think we're all that, we ain't jack. We are as humans, not just of low reputation, but no reputation. If you were to walk around and say, man, I'm just a big fat zero. <laughs> I'm nothing, man. And some psychologist heard that. He, hey, here's my card. Why don't, why don't you call me? Uh, we, we, we need to, you need counseling, dude. But I, I think we need to ask ourselves, what does it mean when it describes Jesus as having made himself nothing? If that's a description of what it means to be a human being. And, and, and let's make sure that we all understand Jesus spoke about himself as being a human being. Okay, now again, he was God. He never ceased to be God. He was 100% God, but he also became a real human being and 100% human. Do you believe that? And he lived as a real human, human being. And as a real human being, he constantly was referring to his nothingness. Now listen, what I, I want us to see tonight is that it was that very thing. It was that very mindset that enabled the Lord Jesus Christ in his humanness to live the life that he lived. That was the key. And that's why at the top of your study sheet, I'm calling this the somethingness of our nothingness. Because listen, understanding our nothingness is that certain something that enables us to live the way that Christ lived because that's the pattern that was established through the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, now, now check this out, man. I, I, allow the Spirit of God to just reveal this to you as we take just a couple of minutes to begin to compare Scripture with Scripture, with everything that I've, I've tried to set up here. Let's look together at John chapter 5 and verse 19. 
Thank you, brother. You know what? If that would have came tumbling down. And, and did, you, did you already sip this water and you given that to me or did you find that in the restroom? <laughs> I, I, I did leave my water in the restroom, man. Thank you, brother. Check it out. John chapter 5 and verse 19. Then answered Jesus and said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, the Son can do nothing of himself. Wow. He can do nothing of himself but what he seeth the Father do. For what things soever he doeth, these also doeth the Son likewise. Jesus says, listen, as a human being, let me tell you what I am capable of, of myself. Nothing. In that same chapter, John chapter 5 and verse 30, I can, of mine own self, do nothing. As I hear, I judge. And my judgment is just because I seek not mine own will, but the will of the Father which hath sent me. Let me just ask you to ponder this. Do you really believe that of his own self that Jesus could actually do nothing? I'm not sure we totally believe that. I know that's what it says. In John chapter 8 and verse 28, then said Jesus unto them, When ye have lifted up the Son of Man, then shall ye know that I am he, and that I do nothing of myself, but as my Father hath taught me, I speak these things. Are you working with me right now? Check this out. Do you realize what our Lord is actually saying? He's saying, listen, all of the incredible things that you hear me teach, all of the incredible miracles that you see me perform, don't pat me on the back for any of it because I can do nothing. I, one of the reasons I think this is such a, a, a huge point is because I, I think that sometimes we, we have the mentality, well, you know, for crying out loud, sure, Jesus could live the way that he lived because he was God, man, and he could do everything. But Jesus says... The reason that I can do everything is because I realize that as a human, I can do nothing. Wow. You know what? This is a group of people right here. We have no problem whatsoever believing in the deity of Christ. In other words, that that Jesus is God. Now, 
we've been sharing the camp with a bunch of white-shirted young men with little badges on that have a real hard time believing that. That's not us. You know what I think we have a hard time believing? That Jesus was a human. And Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 8 says, Though he were a son, do you know the rest of this verse? Though he were a son, yet he learned obedience. Wait, hold up. The Lord Jesus Christ in his humanness learned obedience, it says, through the things which he suffered. John chapter 14, verse 10. Jesus says, Believest thou not that I am in the Father and the Father in me? The words I speak unto you, I speak not of myself, but the Father that dwelleth in me, he doeth the works. Oh man, let the Spirit of God reveal his truth to you. This, my brothers and sisters, is the mindset that the Lord Jesus Christ had. Over and over, he's saying, listen, it's not me. Don't pat me on the back. Don't give me credit because it's all the Father's words. It's all the Father's works. It's all the Father's will. And he says, the explanation for the life that I live as a human being is of myself and in myself and by myself, I can do nothing. It is the Father living in me. And again, I say to you, that was the mindset that the Lord Jesus Christ had in his humanness. That was the somethingness that caused him to live the way that he lived. It was his nothingness. Do you remember what Paul told us back in Philippians 2? His message was, okay, so now listen, if you want to walk, the way that Jesus walked, if you want to love the way that Jesus loved, if you want to be holy uh, the way that Jesus was holy, if you want to live the way that Jesus lived, here's how you do it. You do it the same way that Jesus did, and how did he do it? It was by recognizing that he was nothing. Now, now listen, y'all, the devil, as I mentioned last night, 
2 Corinthians chapter 11, in that first section, he begins talking about the fact how the devil wants to move us away from the simplicity that is Christ, uh, that is in Christ. And he wants to take this, this Christian life thing and he wants to make it unbelievably complicated and, and complex. But l l let me say it to you just as simply and, and succinctly as Paul said it in Philippians chapter 2. The key to living the Christian life is recognizing our absolute nothingness. And listen, y'all, God repeats that same principle over and over in the New Testament. 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 5. Listen to Paul. Not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything of ourselves. But our sufficiency is of God. Does that have a familiar ring to you? In Philippians chapter 3 and verse 3, for we, those of us that are saved, we are the circumcision which worship God in the spirit. And what, didn't we have fun doing that tonight? And rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh or in my ability. No confidence in anything that I can do. In John chapter 15, in verse 5, Jesus says, I, I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me, ye can do, say it, y'all, nothing. nothing. And again, I want to make sure that you get it. The key to living the Christian life is recognizing our absolute nothingness. And, and, and make sure that you understand, it, it's not just having a measure of humility. It's not just being of low reputation. Listen, most Christians, will go that far because the flesh can handle that. And not only can the flesh handle that, the flesh can generate that as long as the flesh doesn't have to die. <laughs> Again, most Christians will, oh yes, we should be of low reputation. But that's not what he's talking about. That's not the pattern. That isn't what Jesus did. It is allowing the spirit of God that lives in us to reveal to us that we are nothing. Now, this is a very interesting word in our English language. It is a compound word that means 
no thing. <laughs> and we are all no thang. I, I think you spell it with an A. I don't, I'm not sure. We are, as humans, if we could just get it, we are of no reputation. And in ourselves, and of ourselves, and by ourselves, we are totally incapable of loving others. We are totally incapable of living a holy life. We are totally incapable of pleasing God. And, and that's why that we've taken the last two nights and the last two, two mornings to talk about the fact that God doesn't want us to live for him. He wants us to die so that it is Christ who lives through us because we are no thing. And, and, and listen, y'all, to come to that understanding, and I, I mean to, to really get it, Though it is simple, it's not always the easiest process in the world. I put it in your notes this way. Learning our nothingness is one of the most difficult lessons of the Christian life. To come to that understanding is often through being placed in difficult circumstances. I think that's there, yeah. It's through being placed in difficult Circumstances, and, and, and though anybody who, who really gets it, they could tell you about their journey to get there. But to see it biblically, one of the best places to see it is through the example of Paul. Okay, you know, I, I think we would all agree that other than the Lord Jesus Christ, man, Paul was the most used human being that has ever graced this planet. And, you know, sometimes I think that we, you know, kind of look at his background and we say, well, you know, the reason that Paul could be used the way that he was used is because, you know, he was a seasoned orator and the great education that he had sitting at the feet of Gamaliel and, you know, and all of the religious pedigree that he had. But Paul clears off a, a little space in the next chapter in the book of Philippians, Philippians chapter 3, verses 4 through 8, and he says this, listen, God brought me to the place, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing obviously, but he says, listen, God brought me to the place where I understood that all of those things in my humanness that made me think that I was something, I had to get to the place to where I viewed them all as but dung. <laughs> and if you really want to get a, 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 a graphic 
illustration of what we're talking about when we're talking about nothingness. A big old pile of hooey. <laughs> and, and listen, God brought Paul to that place of understanding at his salvation. But listen, y'all, God had big plans through that guy. And as God began to use Paul in incredible ways, God knew that there was a very great danger in all of it. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 7, Paul begins to talk about that. And he says, And lest I should be exalted above measure, through the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice that it might depart from me. And he said, that's God. My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness and God was saying to Paul listen buddy this is awesome how you're allowing me to work through you but listen Paul there's a danger in all of this that that maybe you might get to the place to where you think you're strong and that you might begin to feel like you are something and you may start thinking, buddy, that you've got what it takes to be what I've called you to be, and you don't. Because you are no thing. And so I'm going to have to keep you dependent upon me. Because listen, Paul, when you're weak, that's when my strength takes over in you. And watch Paul's response to that in verse 9. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. And check this out in verse 10. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake, because I get it when I am weak and I understand my nothingness. That's when I'm strong. We live in a crazy time, man. You know, and there's lots of talk today about leadership. And there's all kinds, I mean, you can go to the library and knock yourself out with books on leadership. And you can pay hundreds and hundreds of dollars to go to seminars about leadership. And most of it, most of what they're communicating is, you know, trying to get people to to play to your strengths. And that's fine. 
as long as you realize that as far as God is concerned, your strengths empower you to do nothing. I heard an old preacher say one time, you can never be too weak for God, but you can be too strong. You can never be too poor for God, but you can't be too rich. You can never be too simple for God, but you can be too smart. And that's why God says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 26 to 29, for you see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called, but God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. Hallelujah. And God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty and base things of the world and things which are despised hath God chosen, yea, and things which are not to bring to naught. You know what another word for naught is? To bring to nothing things that are, hear it, that no flesh should glory in his presence. And again I say, coming to the place of nothingness is a very difficult lesson to learn. And the road to nothingness is usually paved through difficulty bring us to that place and not only that but notice the next thing learning our nothingness is often through failure and if that truly be the case then contrary to popular opinion failure isn't always a bad thing in fact it could be a Romans 8:28 thing did you ever think about that because what he says is God works how many things together for good? All things. How about that? Even our failures. Now, obviously, y'all, God doesn't want us to fail. And failure in itself isn't good. But listen, if failure and somewhere along the way in our Christian life bring us to understanding our nothingness. It might just well be a good thing. And a great example of that is Peter, right? Okay, I think we get it, man. Peter's a go-getter. He's determined that because of what Jesus has done for him, he was going to live for Jesus. I mean, he was a fully committed follower of Christ. So much so that in Matthew chapter 26, verses 31 to 35, Jesus is in the upper room with the fellas, and he begins to tell them that every single last one of them on that very night was going to be offended because of him. And my boy Peter is sitting there hearing that and goes, 
Hold up. Uh, I'm, af- I'm afraid you're mistaken. Now, I, I, I can't speak for these other guys, but let me guarantee on to you that even if every last one of these guys throw you under the bus, not me, buddy, because I have committed myself to live for you. And of course, you know how that whole thing shook out, right? Within a few hours, he's cussing his stinking head off, denying that he even knew who Christ was, three times, in fact, and he is an utter, absolute failure. Anybody ever have one of those in your life? Okay, so I I got saved when I was 16, and man, uh, Jesus died for me, and so I was going to live for him, man. The next thing I know, I'm in Bible college, man, living for Jesus, totally committed. It's come time for graduation, and uh, I, uh, I land a job in Southern California, Huntington Beach. Somebody's got to do it. Might as well be me. <laughs> and so uh, I, 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 I was the singles pastor. My best friend from junior high on up became the youth pastor. And so he and I, man, are are doing this thing together out there in Southern California, living for God, totally committed to him. And so we had this college and youth revival, you know. And so, you know, it was at the beginning of the school year. And so we're, you know, big splash. And, man, it was awesome. I'm telling you, man, people were getting saved like crazy. There was a, a high school that was like two blocks away from our church. The, the captain of the football team got saved on one night. He brings the whole team the next night, and, of course, the cheerleaders followed. And uh, so, wow, man, I mean, it was crazy. And so, you know, we're, we're, we're just totally committed to Jesus. And uh, so, you know, man, we, on Friday nights, we, we go to the games, you know, to support these guys and, you know, let them know and get our faces out there with all of the other lost kids. And so, uh, so I'm, I'm 22, y'all, okay? I was a street urchin, okay? The, the school that I went to was on the CBS Evening News because of the riots back in the, the late 60s, okay? So... We're sitting there watching the game, minding our own business, and there's a pretty rowdy group of people that are are right behind us, you know. And, uh, you know, this was, I had never seen it before. I I went to college in in Missouri, and so I come out to Southern California, and, you know, they're 20 years ahead of all of us. And so, you know, it was like these punk rocker-looking, goth-looking, you know, people and they're just you know crazy and all of that and I'm like whatever and so there's this one dude and he takes this girl's purse and he empties out her whole purse and then he just and something in my totally committed self (laughs) 
I'm staring him down, and he goes, ooh. I'm breathing through my nose. And so he wants to mess with me. So, you know, I'm watching the game. I'm, I'm just trying to put it in the back. The next thing I know, he's all like this. I see him in the peripheral. Bam! Puts his butt on my head. I said, dude, you better recognize. We're here because we're totally committed to reaching people with the gospel. And so I'm, I'm back to watching the game. So I'm sitting about six rows from the top of, of the stadium. So he, he's up here. There's a fence up here. So I, I, don't, I don't know that he's back here. But this was back in the day when they had those Pepsi cups that were all waxy. <laughs> and he rolled that thing up. And bam, bam, hits me in the back of the head. And then, he, then he's doing this. Y'all can't see this in the back, but. Do you know the Bible talks about in the moment, in the twinkling of an eye? I don't even know how I got there. I am up on that dude. I've grabbed him by the throat, and I'm right here. The whole stadium stands up, because they've been seeing everything that's been going on, man. And they're like, hit him, man, hit him. And I... Oh, my word, y'all. You talk about feeling like a failure, man. Oh, I, you know what? I'm hot in my cheeks right now. Just not because I'm still mad at the dude. <laughs> but because of the, the utter failure of it all. And I'm like, where in the heck did that come from, man? I'm totally committed to Jesus. I'm living for him. And that's where Peter found himself. I don't know about these other guys, but let me just tell you, it ain't going to be me. <laughs> and so after Peter's colossal failure, within about seven weeks of that debacle, it's the day of Pentecost. And on the day of Pentecost, one of the disciples is going to get the opportunity to preach to this crowd. Now, you know, the scripture doesn't tell us how they decided who was going to be the one that would actually preach. But let me just assure you of this. If I would have been one of the remaining 11, based on the whole upper room gig where Peter threw all of us under the bus, I would have been saying... Hey, listen, uh, I don't know which one of us 
is supposed to do this, but I think I, I think I know who isn't. <laughs> Peter, it ain't you, pal. <laughs> and yet, you know who God wanted to preach? The dude that had just had the most colossal failure imaginable. And that leads to the next thing that I want you to see. Learning the lesson of our nothingness is evidenced by our perspective and our speech. Okay, now let, let's continue with the, the example of, of Peter. He, he goes from preaching and the power of the Spirit on the day of Pentecost to shortly thereafter going into the temple with John. And, and as they get to the, to the gate, there's a guy that has been lame his entire life, and he's asking for alms. He, he was asking for alms, and he got legs. <laughs> okay? <laughs> dad joke. Dad joke. Sorry. Not bad. Dad joke. And, and Peter says to him, silver and gold have I none, dude. But such as I have, give I unto thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And of course he did, man. And the lame man and all the people all around are, woo Peter, you are the man. And, and listen to what it says in Acts 3, verses 12 and 13. And when Peter saw it, he answered unto the people, You men of Israel, why marvel ye at this? Or why look ye so earnestly on us as though <clears throat> by our own power or holiness we had made this man to walk? And who does he sound like now, y'all? Hey, don't congratulate me. Don't pat me on the back. Don't stand there looking like I'm something because I'm nothing. This was done by the power of God in the name of Jesus. And you know what Peter had learned, y'all? The somethingness of his nothingness. And now it wasn't what he was doing for Christ, but what Christ was doing through him. Let's look at another quick example, the example of Paul. Paul goes out on his missionary journeys, and I want you to watch what happens when he comes back to give the report to his home church in Antioch. Acts chapter 14, verse 27. And, and when they were come and had gathered the church together, they rehearsed all that they had done for God. Is that what it says? They rehearsed all that God had done with them. In other words, what God had done in them and what God had done through them. 
and how, go on in the verse, and how he, God, had opened the door of faith unto the Gentiles, not them. Yeah, we'd like to tell you guys, we've been out there just working for God and opening doors everywhere we go. Not a hint of that. In Acts 15, Paul gets audience with the Jerusalem council. And so he and, and Barnabas stand up and say in verse 4, Hey, fellas, we'd like to share with you what we've done for God. No. Once again, they declared all the things that God had done with them. Again, a term that encompasses what God had done in and through them. And again, I say there's all the difference in the world between what we do for God and what God does in and through us. So what does all of this, what does all of this mean? What, what is it that we're to take away from all, all of this? What's, what's the conclusion of everything that we've been talking about tonight? Okay, two key things. Okay, so zero in on me. This is what I'm hoping God will allow all of us to take away tonight. Number one, go ahead. To live the life God has called me to live in my human body is only possible by living my life the way that Christ lived in his human body. Amen? And the simple version of that is I must follow Christ's pattern. And again, it's Philippians 2.5. Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. Follow that pattern. And, and then number two, to live the life God has called me to live is not possible in my own strength or power. And the point here, to make it simple, is I must trust Christ's power. I must follow his pattern, but I must trust Christ's power. And before you pack up, okay, there are two key verses he goes on to give us in the book of Philippians that we haven't talked about yet. The first one is Philippians chapter 2 and verse 13. Look at it. For it is... God, which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Listen, y'all, it's all him. He, he, he says, he gives you both the desire and the power to live in a way that brings him pleasure. It's not like we supply the desire and he'll supply the power. You do this and I'll do the rest. You know why it's not that? 
because we are nothing. And we are dependent on him for everything. The second verse is Philippians chapter 4 and verse 13. I can do all things. How? Isn't that a beautiful thing? Through Christ. I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. Come to the certainty conference, and I'll tell you why it says which instead of who. And just to see if you really get it, you're packing up, aren't you? It's offensive. <laughs> okay, I'm within 30 seconds, y'all. I want to see if you really get it. How many things can you accomplish in your strength, of your strength, and by your strength? None. Because in myself and of myself and by myself, I am nothing. And understanding our nothingness becomes the somethingness that releases the power of Christ's life through us. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. And as the worship team is coming, let's pray. Lord, I, I pray tonight that what the, the Spirit of God is wanting to say through the Word of God, that we would have ears to hear what, what you're saying to us. And Lord, I, I pray that as we have one more final session with Pastor George that you will take all of this and make it just unbelievably practical for us as we get back to our place. Oh God, would you deliver us from just having a cool time at the all church retreat and then just getting back and reverting back into the old patterns and the old way of thinking, that old mindset. Lord, free us. Help us to labor, to enter into your rest, that glorious rest for the people of God. And Lord, we pray that you would do mighty works through us and that no glory would ever be brought to the flesh. We ask this for your glory's sake. Amen.